Yeah. So, t- so tell me about like your practice and, and you as a teacher, I'm curious because I, and I, I wish that my life had allowed me while we were there to come and visit your spot, but it's like, you know, we're all in the middle of our own things, but I was super aware, you know, I, you know, I interviewed Dan Koval, who, you know, and taught Mm -hmm. for you for a while and, and Chris and everything. And I, I always like dig a place that's like curious. I think that's what I, I like about like a certain movement spaces is like embracing the curiosity. And that was kind of the impression I got from, from speaking to Chris, where I was like, oh, well, this is a place where they're doing partner acro, they're doing hand balancing, they're doing yoga, they're doing jujitsu. And, you know, that to me is like a place that's asking questions. That's not just like, oh, well, we have it all figured out. Um, So like, how did you kind of like land in that scenario? Like, where did Warrior Bridge come from? Oh, man, such a good question. Um, I mean, it's been, it's a really... Yeah, I mean, it's a story meant for a podcast, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I guess like a, just a tiny bit of my background. Um, yeah, so I mean, I was like, I was born in New York, moved to Florida, moved to Delaware, that all before the time I was 10. So by the time I was like 10, I mm-hmm. was in Delaware. I lived like in Delaware till I was like 22. And then I moved to New York like one week after I graduated college. Mm-hmm. And um yeah, I, I actually moved into this building 10 years ago in New York City. Um, wow. But uh, yeah, so I moved to New York and I started like, I got a job like you're supposed to. But when I was in college, so I grew up skateboarding. That was kind of like my first movement practice. And then mm-hmm. when I was in college, I got into like martial, I decided, I started watching like MMA. And I remember one day when I was supposed to be studying for finals, I found like Kung Lee. And suddenly there was this guy like spinning, spinning back, kicking people in the cage. And like, I got like obsessed with MMA and it was like, okay, I need to train martial arts. So I was like looking for what was available. And I wound up uh, joining the Taekwondo club at my college. And uh, obviously in retrospect, not like the most like, like MMA applicable art, but I I had a fun time with it. And I, it uh, definitely like introduced me to like flexibility training in a different way. And so I, I promise the story does go somewhere, <laughs> but uh, so because I was doing martial arts, um, I was doing Taekwondo. There was like, I was doing little bits of like capoeira and little bits of like MMA also and jujitsu when I would get a chance to, but it was all at a very like unofficial sort of way, but I, uh, it was Taekwondo. So it's like a lot of high kicks. So at one point I decided, I was like, okay, if I'm going to take this seriously, I really need to work on my flexibility. So that's where the yoga came from. So one of my roommates at the time, she took me to a, uh, she asked me if I wanted to go to yoga with her. So I took a yoga class um, and I don't, I definitely was totally into it right from the beginning. I could see there was like really clear parallels between uh, like the Taekwondo practice that I was doing and this yoga class. Like there was like balancing, there was like stances, there was, and I was like, yeah, this is great. And it took me a little, maybe like another six months to like go back to a yoga class in any like serious sort of way. But like at that point, I would like, I basically made the decision. I'm like, okay, yoga is now like a serious part of what I do. Cause I just kind of like jump into stuff that way. Mm-hmm. So that was like my senior year of college. Um, and I moved to New York at this point. I'm super into yoga. I'm super into, I want to get into martial arts. Um, so I have this whole plan of like, I'm going to go around the city and I'm going to find, 
I'm going to try out all the different gyms and uh, figure out which one that I want to like join up at. And I was like, maybe I'll join like a gym for striking and a gym for grappling, or maybe I'll find one that does both. So basically like first day in New York, I go to Henzo's and I do like the trial class there. Second day, uh, I go to Marcello's. Third day, I go to Marcello's. And that was uh, like the next three and a half years of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I moved to New York. I was, I kept practicing yoga. I kept training at Marcello's. And at a certain point I had this like kind of come to Jesus moment of like, I want to, or it's more of like a come to Tony Robbins mo- uh, moment <laughs> actually, where it was like, I got to start living my life to its fullest. I got to start like, you know, I can't put this on pause. I got to do the things that like, I got to start living my dream now. And like, got a little manic about it, but like, it was good. I, uh, I signed up for yoga teacher training and, um, yeah, I, I finished that and I was like ready to teach. I wanted to teach yoga for martial artists. Mm Um, I started teaching, I quit my job pretty quick order, did a bunch of other teacher trainings, was practicing at this point. I was practicing jujitsu. I was practicing a lot of yoga, learning about different yoga styles, doing different trainings. And I wanted to teach a yoga class at Marcello's. Mm. And um, I was like kind of shy about it. Um, I remember I was like, I talked to one of the, uh, I uh, talked to Phil Zinho about it. I was like, hey, because he was getting into yoga too at the time. And I was like, do you want to, hey, maybe you can like talk to Marcello about like having like a yoga class. And like, I should have just talked to Marcello myself if I wanted that to be a thing. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, like, not so long after I forget, I don't remember when, like week, day, whatever, uh, feels like, um, you know, they, uh, Marcelo says, it's just like, it's just a jujitsu school. He doesn't want to do any, uh, like he's not going to do any yoga and like, lo and behold, now they have yoga, but, uh, right. you know, that took, uh, Whitney to teach, uh, show Marcelo the value of it. But anyway, I still wanted to teach this yoga for martial arts, uh, martial artists class, or even mainly jujitsu. Mm-hmm. But, um, I remembered that, I had read on like the front uh, front door of the building, it said like Aikido Kokakai NYC. So I was like, oh, I guess there's like a Aikido dojo somewhere in this. And I was like, maybe they have space for me to do this, uh, for me to like teach this class. And I walked one floor up, which oh, I- Marcello's. One floor up from Marcello's, which okay. for some reason in the three years we had been there, I had like, or I guess it was like two years at that point, I had never walked up these stairs and like, turn a right and big, beautiful, empty dojo. Wow. Just like had like, yeah, mats laid out across like the floor. It was beautiful at a skylight. And it was like, and I looked at the schedule and there was like four, cl- four weekly classes on the schedule. So it turned wow. out. Yeah. So it turned out that this was, uh, uh, my, my current business partners, uh, uh, a keto dojo, which also doubled as an art gallery because he's a, he was an, he's an art dealer. Mm-hmm. So, um, he didn't really like you, he had his Aikido program there, but he didn't really, uh, use it all that much. So like, I see all this openings on the schedule and I like reach out to him and I'm like, Hey, I'm Sean. I teach, I specialize in teaching yoga for martial artists, which I was interested. I did not specialize in it, but, uh, mm-hmm. Basically, I told him about it and he was like, I'm open to it. And he, in this first email, um, he told me about this idea he had for a place that he called ATMY Place. 
Aikido, mm -hmm. Tai Chi, meditation, and yoga place. Mm -hmm. And he also was like, and I think he, so he had like this idea for a gym that was like, or a studio that like combined all these different practices. Mm -hmm. And this really resonated with me. The idea of it resonated with me a lot because I had already kind of figured out that I wanted to have, like my dream was kind of have this like fusion studio of yoga and martial arts. And then I forget exactly. I think at that point I was thinking like lots of different types of martial arts and maybe it was different types of yoga. I forget exactly. But anyway, I didn't actually really take him up on that all that much. Um, Cause like I taught one or two classes there kind of independently, like renting the space from him. And then he was like in the process of like, he's like, well, I'm going to be moving out of this space. Um, he didn't really want to commit to anything ongoing. But a few months down the line, I was in this neighborhood. And so I'm in the South Street Seaport. Mm -hmm. And um, I see a for lease sign in a window. So there's this, um, well, I really did make this story super fucking long. But it's anyway. okay, though. It's, 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 the right, it's the right time. This is the opportunity to tell the whole story. Yeah. So I, um, so I see this uh, store for lease. And I'm like looking at it, I'm like, huh, this, this could work. Cause I was, uh, I did my yoga teacher trainings at yoga to the people. And mm -hmm. so I was like pretty used to like working with very little to like make a studio. So I was like, oh yeah, there's a floor, there's lights, there's windows that it's a studio. So I was, um, I actually tried to, I showed it to like, um, some, another friend of mine the guy that was managing Ohm factory at the time, um, who was we did this style of yoga called like Budokan, which was like a martial arts yoga fusion thing. So I knew him through that. So we were talking about, we were like, we should open a studio. And we looked at it and we had some meetings about it, but basically it turned, he had different ideas about what he wanted to do. So he kind of was like, yeah, this isn't it. Um, this isn't, this isn't my uh, studio that I foresee. And um, so I was kind of like at a loss. I'm like, okay, I have no money. I can't do this on my own. Um, what do I do? And I remember this guy, Gary. Mm -hmm. So I give him a, I forget if I give him a call or I shoot him an email. And anyway, it's, it seems like it just went really fast from there because basically we, we did it. He was like, yeah. uh, he, uh, he agreed to open the studio and I would be the manager and I would help put it all together. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, we kind of went into it. I did express concerns with his idea for this ATMY place. He thought it was very at my place. He thought it was very uh, clever. I thought it was silly. Uh -huh. So it was like, I had to give him something. And when we were tossing, me and my other friend, uh, Derek, when we were tossing around ideas for the name, he was, uh, I was like, what do you think about like warrior yoga or yoga warriors? And he was like, what about warrior bridge yoga? And I was like thinking he was working with like the, uh, you know, I was saying warrior were right next to the Brooklyn bridge. Mm -hmm. It turned out, I, for some reason, didn't remember this, but one of the poses in Budokan yoga is like this, this thing. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And, it, and it's, it's called warrior's bridge. Okay. And, I, and for some reason, I didn't remember this, uh -huh. even though I taught this sequence and I would say it but I was teaching Warrior's Bridge in Warrior Bridge. And I was like, and I said it like when I was like dialoguing it to the class and I was like, lift up into your Warrior's Oh shit, I named the studio after this pose. <laughs> yeah. 
But um, yeah, so that was kind of, that was how we got to opening day. So originally mm. it was going to be this fusion of Aikido and Tai Chi and meditation and yoga. And we had kind of this um, kind of like an equal, fairly equal representation of all of these things on the schedule. And acro yoga also started to kind of, when I was doing yoga teacher training, I got introduced to acro yoga. So that was becoming a bigger part of what I was doing and kind of came along for the ride when we opened the studio. So from there, so we opened it. I went away to acro yoga teacher training. I got certified and I got like, had another one of these, like, this is a, this is a thing now. This is like, I decided that I was going to really like go at it with acro yoga and really like represent it at the studio. Mm-hmm. And over the course of like six months, the, we just started adding like class acro class after acro class for until it was like, we need a bigger space. And, you know, I was super, the space we were in, it had like track lighting that was not that high off the ground. There was like a sprinkler system. And I'm not sure if you know about this, but like at Marcello's, um, his old school at, uh, on like 36th street, um, Mm -hmm. flooded in like 2014, something like that. Yeah. I wasn't there, Uh, but I've heard about it a lot. Or yeah, it was like, so the old school flooded and then we moved to Chelsea Piers to, mm-hmm. uh, to like keep doing classes. And then Hurricane Sandy came and yeah. Chelsea Piers flooded. Yeah. So two studios, two gyms flooded in like short order. So this new studio had like sprinklers that I see people's feet like whizzing by. And like, I'm like, for my peace of mind, we cannot stay here. Like I am, <laughs> I cannot, lo- I cannot lose another studio to a flood right right. we can't flood this place (laughs) so yeah so we wound up uh basically we started looking for a new space we didn't look very far because uh basically i looked in the building that i lived in um Mm -hmm. so like i looked at the ground floor of that building and like i showed it to my partner and he's like "Eh, it's too expensive so the landlord tells us they have this other space around the corner and we check it out and it's good. And we, we decided that we would, that's the, I'll leave that as the short story. Basically we decide there's a whole story that involves like San Francisco pot brownies, airplanes Mm. and being late for a meeting, but we'll just, uh, as, as most good stories do. Yeah. 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 Um, There's always, there's always the Hunter S Thompson part of all the stories. Yeah. So that was a good time. Uh, turned, so we wound up like, he was like, I'm into it but he didn't at this point want to do it alone because mm-hmm. like he kind of, he fronted all the money for the original studio. And he was like, at this point, um, like if you want to do this, like you have to come up with some money, which was like fair enough. And um, luckily I had recently met a client uh, mm-hmm. who was of means, we'll just say, mm-hmm. and she helped me become an owner in the studio. And um, amazing. Yeah, so that's those. Uh, that's a, that's a, that, but that's a very standard. Like, I feel like people in other parts of the world or other parts of the country hear that and they're like, "Well, that's crazy." But in New York, like that happens, like because people with like the means are all like wandering around among the regulars. Yeah, and, like depending on what you're doing and what you're into. But if you're like teaching things like yoga or acro yoga or whatever it is, like those, like you end up crossing paths with those people. And yeah, New York, it's just like it's a different thing. Yeah, it's very, um, yeah, and it's happened like several t- 
times like I mean like yeah in New York you're just like bound to like cross people like that you don't even realize like who they are until later or you don't like they, they might not even be someone who is notable like this client isn't like anyone that you would you might recognize like their last name but you wouldn't like you wouldn't know who uh yeah who who that is you wouldn't like know who she is i've had i've had a a number of these experiences and all of a sudden you're like oh you have a seven million dollar apartment oh cool yeah it's just like yeah there's so much much private exactly yeah there's so much of that in new york city so as you started you're primarily teaching yoga and jujitsu or excuse me or or excuse me yoga and, and acro yoga Yeah, I was primarily teaching yoga at that point. And like Mm -hmm. I had, yeah, I was teaching a few different styles. They were mostly like power vinyasa based styles. I was also teaching like a Bikram kind of style. Mm -hmm. Um, And I mean, the way that my teaching had to evolve as a result of like being in this new studio and having people that weren't used to the things that I was teaching before, that's like a whole story in itself. But Basically, the studio kind of transformed little bit by little bit over the years until, um, you know, first uh, the jujitsu. We kind of ran into a little bit of the thing of if you only have a class on the schedule, uh, like once or twice a week, it's really hard to build it up. Mm -hmm. So basically, the programming that like the Tai Chi and the jujitsu that started to kind of like uh, wane a little bit the meditation kind of it was like it's little thing that but it kind of was it was just what it was it was just like a little donation it wasn't even donation based it was like a free community sit that they had um like on weekday mornings from like 8 to 8 30 and it was kind of like okay that's that um basically when we went into the partnership uh we basically split the business up into two like i would own my programs within the space and he would own his Mm-hmm. So Gary's programs were like the Aikido, the Tai Chi and the meditation. So mm-hmm. once the Tai Chi and the meditation kind of went the wayside, um, he basically just had his Aikido uh, dojo there, which mm-hmm. like he's a Gary's a eighth degree black belt in Aikido. Um, mm-hmm. And he wound up moving to Montana sometime like uh, two years ago or something. So basically I was kind of left with progressively more creative direction of the studio. And um, as my practice kind of shifted more and more towards acrobatics and uh, hand balancing and circus arts, um, I kind of took the studio in that direction. And then basically when we, when COVID hit, that was kind of the, that was kind of the final, that was the last bit that Gary would be kind of involved. At least that's what it seems like for now. Um, mm-hmm. And basically I became the exclusive owner of Warrior Bridge. And um, so now Warrior Bridge doesn't really have martial arts classes. Now we're more of like a, what's, I don't even know how to, <laughs> we feel like now, now I'm kind of forced to like rebrand and it's like, wait, now I'm just kind of, I'm just kind of standing here. It's like, I can do anything. Right. What do I do? <laughs> When also like, you know, because there's like the lockdown or coronavirus, all the things, it's like now it's when you open back up, you have almost the freedom to hit the reset button in some way if you want to, right? You can almost yeah. be like, oh, when we, now we're open and it's actually kind of, I've revamped it or I've come in with a new vision or, or 
like you, everybody has that freedom. As my wife says, it's like with the lockdown, you can like fake your own death and then like <laughs> come out and be whatever you want on the other end. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, no, totally. It's going to be, it's going to be really interesting, like, uh, coming out the other side. Like it's already when I see people like, cause now like we're starting to see people like in the studio or out in parks, um, kind of wherever people are comfortable, but we're seeing like our friends and it's like, they're, it's like where I was at in my like handstand practice, like in March is like so different from where I am now. And like, mm -hmm. I, I lost a bunch of weight also just from, I don't know if it was from training more or eating less or a little from both, but like, I think I just noticed like when, like I was like taking these really long like practices and it was like, I would just forget to eat. And it was like, wait, I'm lighter. The skills are easier. And mm -hmm. I try not to talk about that because I think that's a pretty bad precedent to set for people, but uh, totally yeah. a true thing though. No, but there's also like, I don't know. I think that we get in the habit of like, you know, being stronger, being bigger. And, and there's something to not necessarily lightness as like a number, but like lightness as a feeling, right? Yeah, like, you know, like, sure. I think that we're supposed to be like bouncy. I think we're supposed to be nimble. Mm -hmm. And in some ways it's almost like to, to give the illusion of being in more control than we actually are. We like do these things to like bulk ourselves up and be a thing that like has the potential to be a bit of a disservice, I think. Um, yeah. So yeah, again, it's not about a number per se. It's more about like the, the, the feeling of like, yeah, like my, you know, also just like, I'm not, I don't need to eat four or five meals or whatever a day and feel like my stomach is weighting me down. And like, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like you want to feel like you can, you can move like a breeze or you can move like a rock. You don't want to just feel like you can only move like a rock. Yeah, for sure. I think, um, you know, I've very much moved towards, I think someone calls it the warrior diet. It's not a, mm -hmm. not a, not a branding thing, but, um, mm -hmm. it's basically like I eat mostly one big meal at mm -hmm. the end of the day. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I'll drink like a, like a, it's not really a bullet, I guess it's like a bulletproof coffee. I'll just do like coffee with like butter and like oat milk in the morning. And that's like literally the, I might have like a bone broth for lunch, but like, I don't really eat solid food in like the day, but I'll eat like a 2000, 3000 calorie meal, like at night. And like, you know, the morning might be a little rough, but like we get, get ourselves going and it's, uh, Mm -hmm. it's good but now the feeling of not having not being weighed down like in your stomach especially if you're doing like flexibility things that involve mm -hmm. flexibility mm -hmm. and then yeah it's just yeah I mean I could I'm just thinking back like I I was looking for an old video on Instagram um and like I kind of got to see like it was like oh I can get to see like kind of my like hand balance progression and I was like looking at my at what I was doing in like January, February. And it was like, I was doing a lot of the same things, but like, I just had to work so much harder to do it. Mm -hmm. And then like, now those things are easier. And like the hard things that I can do are like harder, but um, yeah, you come out, I guess like we kind of got to this by like, you come out whoever you want out of this thing. And, you know, I think that's, uh, I think that's definitely on my mind. It's like, I don't want to like put the cart before the horse because like, I don't know when we're going to come out of this. And, you know, there's some of the, uh, the doomers that are like, oh, nope, world's never going to be the same. Yeah. Get used to uh, 
10 year lockdown. It's like, <laughs> oh man. <laughs> I don't think Even that's the case, but I do yeah, think I, I do, but I also do think, and I've said this a few times, I do think that there's a bit of a disservice people might be doing for themselves or people who they're, they're talking to. And they say like, like something like when things go back to normal, because I also don't know that like, that's the right mindset either because mm-hmm. things are like change is inevitable and change is happening. Normal's not a thing. And whatever it looks like in three, four, seven months, a year will be different from like whatever it was in February. And that's okay. You know what I mean? I think it's yeah. almost like being like, then that's totally cool because we're going to like develop, you know, we're going to be adaptable and we're going to be creative and, and great things come out of that. Um, and I feel like that sounds like almost like, I don't know, hearing your story, like that's almost like your theme. It's like, you are, you seem like somebody who's like very open to like switching gears and like, oh, there's a new window. I'm going to jump through that one. Oh, cool. There's another window over there. I'm going to jump through that one. Um, as opposed to being like, oh no, I'm totally attached to the identity of uh, being a skateboarder or of being a martial artist or of being someone who does, you know, acro yoga. You know, I almost want to like make sure we do this again in 10 years to like see what the next like few things are, because I think that that's like a, that's, that's a, it's a great mindset. And I think that people really do like, you know, put chains around their ankles and hold themselves back from like jumping through some new windows um, that they see are right there, but it's because they're like, ah, but like I've already put on my name tag and it says who I am like right there. So I can't do that now. Yeah. I mean, that resonates so much with me. I mean, I remember like, man, I mean, this was like when I was in like sixth grade or something, but it was like right before I was like really getting into skateboarding. Mm -hmm. I was like, I was, I was starting to get it. I was pretty into like BMX bikes. Mm -hmm. Um, And I remember like, I remember one night, like this, like feeling that was like, I'm no longer really that interested in BMX. I like, I think I'm like a lot more interested in skateboarding. And part of me was like really sad. And I remember like being like almost like heartbroken. Like I had lost like a friend because it's like, oh, this doesn't like make me excited and happy in the same way. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, like this, and it still kind of repeats itself, honestly. Like uh, the same thing happened with jujitsu in a way where it was like, I could recognize the beauty in the art and like I could recognize like how much skill this took and I could have a ton of fun while I was doing it but like I didn't feel the same magnetism to the practice or like the joy that I got out of the practice um I mean the big thing with jujitsu was honestly like the injuries just made it harder to do other things that I liked and Mm -hmm. like that was honestly one of the biggest things and it was like you know when I was I stopped practicing jujitsu very seriously, not that long after I became, uh, I quit my job to be a yoga teacher. And I remember I got, there was like a combination of like skateboarding, yoga and jujitsu things that all culminated in me having like a super tweaked neck. Mm. Um, And like, I like kind of fell on an arm, like on a skateboard and then I try to do like a backwards roll on a hardwood floor in a yoga class and like a, like a chalk cross and a backwards somersault thing. Mm -hmm. And then um, I got caught in a guillotine um, that like made my spine crack like four times. Mm. And it was like, 
I just remember like I could barely like move my neck and I was just like laid up and it's like I just quit my job to be like teaching yoga and now I can barely move <laughs> so like like that kind of got embedded and then I just like I think acro honestly like replaced a lot of like what I got out of jujitsu right because um, it, it's it has that like being with people element mm-hmm. right and uh I don't know to me that's always like the beauty of like jujitsu I mean among many things but like jujitsu dance like you know I've never done partner acro but like I get the feeling that it's it's similar in that way that it's like there's like learning how to like be with somebody they're they're very intimate mm-hmm. and, yeah. and we've done a lot to like remove that from our culture in some ways like we you know and, and now more so but like before this even there's like it's almost like taboo to like be that close to people but like we we get a lot from being close to people in that way yeah, for sure. I mean, I, uh, I used to use this example a lot um, because I remember I came up with this example before I even ever tried acro, but it was um, with yoga, I felt like I kind of got to understand myself better. And I kind of started to understand like my reactions and my, uh, my emotions better, my thoughts better. And martial arts, I thought I was learning how to deal with other people and deal with conflict. And I kind of looked at yoga is like the yoga was like the science of dealing with the self, mm-hmm. and martial arts was like the science of dealing with the other people. And then I saw what acro was, and I was like, wow, it's like the science of dealing with other people, but not just conflict. Like you're, it's a collaboration. Mm-hmm. So like I, I kind of thought of it as like this kind of like trifecta, and mm-hmm. I can still for sure see that. Um, but I kind of let go of that analogy a little bit, but yeah, I think um, that kind of, uh, yeah, I think the fact that it was like a partner practice that honestly just had a way more diverse community and like people weren't trying to hurt me. And it was like, I was, I was pretty good at jujitsu. Like I, uh, I went back uh, not that long before COVID started um, Mm -hmm. for the first time in like almost five years. And I was impressed. I could still, uh, I could still do stuff, but, um, yeah, it was, um, yeah, I kind of just moved away from it cause it just wasn't really like doing its thing for me. Mm-hmm. I would say even like the most recent thing that I've, uh, almost had to let go of has been yoga in a way. And it's like, I was, I was like a yoga teacher and I kept teaching and I kept teaching yoga until everyone for like, would just say like, this isn't yoga. And it's like, okay, so what is it? And like, I think in COVID, I've like really, in the time of COVID, I've really embraced like my direction as a, I don't really like to say movement teacher because that's such like a nebulous sort of like term, but let's just say movement teacher, acrobat, mm-hmm. handstander, flexibility person. Mm-hmm. And yeah. like, I mean, I like move. I like saying movement. I just think it's like, it gets thrown around so much. Well, that it almost- there, there's also like, and I was talking to somebody about it today there's almost like i don't know some like elitist connotations that come with saying like movement teacher Mm -hmm. and i think that that does like a disservice because i'm like i get that it like it describes like what we're doing but i realize that there's a good group of people or a lot of people who are almost like oh well that's like that like sacred thing and it's like it's supposed to be it's actually supposed to be the opposite it's supposed to be like no like this is we're trying to just do like the human thing. 
Yeah, I mean, labels are interesting in that way. Like, I really try to avoid giving, I really like the idea of like, when you teach a class, you just tell them exactly what you're going to teach them. Mm-hmm. And I think that's like the most straightforward way. Like, yeah, I mean, that's what's great about jujitsu. It's like, you show up, it's jujitsu. Yeah. It's like, yeah, that's what it is. And mm-hmm. like, you know, yoga can be that way. But like, you know, you can't really just say yoga, because there's so many different types of yoga that that almost tells you like, zero. Um, and then even like the things that call themselves yoga aren't, aren't yoga a lot of well, times. I mean, I've thought so much about that. I just, you know, I've, I chiseled away super slow at it because I was reading some other things at the same time, but I read, um, the yoga sutras. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was just like, yeah, much, much of like what I observe of like what's happening in yoga is not much of like what's being talked about in this book. You know, like this is not a book about positions or asanas or anything like this is about the mind and consciousness. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so I was thinking about that when you said that somebody said to you like, oh, this isn't yoga. And you could almost be like, well, <laughs> most of this isn't yoga if we're really getting down to like the, 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 like the brass tacks you know? Yeah, for sure. So I'm, so I'm curious, like, you know, just as somebody who like, doesn't know a lot about like the yoga practice, especially like in the Western world, not that I haven't taken yoga classes, I have, mm-hmm. but like not enough. And it's been a long time. So I'm curious about like how you approach that, you know, in terms of like knowing kind of like where yoga is going, but also knowing where people are coming from when they walk in the front door, like, what what does that look like and how do you communicate some of those things to people or is it just more like oh like hey like people start with asanas maybe after that they find that they're ready to explore breath work and then somewhere down the road they get to like contemplation and meditation yeah i think um i mean i've actually i'm actually very interested in like the history of yoga and mm-hmm. like the history of modern yoga practice and have done like a lot of research into this. And, um, you know, I, I mean, I'll just say like, you know, I don't think that anyone who's leading like a, I'm going to say a movement class and calls it yoga or a, um, anyone that's leading like a physical yoga class, I'd say the yoga that they are doing without exception is extraordinarily different than any yoga that was practiced more than a hundred years ago. Right. Um, like, it's not that there wasn't a physical practice of yoga before, like, 120 years ago, but it was very different. And, like, the emphasis of it was very different. Um, so I, you know, we don't, re- I don't really go into that conversation because it's like, no, they're not, the students aren't going to be ready for it. Um, if someone, like, asks me these things, I will. But, like, so we have, like, our warrior flow class, which would be kind of our more vigorous, um, it's not really vinyasa because we leave out a lot of the things that would be kind of hallmarks of a vinyasa class, but it's a flow movement class. Um, incorporates like strength and mobility. Um, we'll, we'll talk about breathing. Breathing is important. Um, we might do some like mindfulness stuff, but this is all stuff that I'll also do in any of my other classes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I almost, it's for me, it's almost like, I don't want to give yoga all that credit because yeah, like, right. yoga didn't make this shit up. I made this shit up. 
right. not like uh or i uh i develop my own my own blend of mm-hmm. these things but i mean it's extremely influenced by like so many other systems of of yoga of other movement disciplines um i've been really hugely influenced by physical therapy my girlfriend's a a doctor of physical therapy so for the last several years i've like been just like trying to like pick up any all the morsels of knowledge like listening in on her mm-hmm. talking to patients um yeah. but yeah i guess the question was uh modern yoga like we you were saying like is the approach to like start them with the asana and like yeah. work them inward from there yeah i think that it's like sometimes you know, I, you know, I was talking to somebody today and being like, you know, when I teach movement, like broadly what I'm interested in is like embracing uncertainty and change. Like if I were to get to like the bare, bare bones of like what I'm trying to communicate and then everything that I teach, the content is just a vehicle for that, Mm -hmm. you know? And as I, observe like the yoga sutras and like kind of reflect on it. I'm like, okay, well at the bare bones yoga is this, this, this really internal thing. It's a right. It's um, it's about the exploration. Like I said, of like consciousness and, and, and the, whatever the true self. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and, and I realized that like the asanas and the breathing are all just, or I guess the asanas are like a vehicle for the breathing. And then the breathing is a way to like control the mind. And when the mind is in control, the breath is in control. And then like, that's Mm -hmm. where, that's like kind of getting to like where the root of all the stuff is. But I know that when people walk in the door, you can't just walk up to them and be like, hey, like, by the way, this is a practice where I'm trying to explore uncertainty and change, but we're actually going to do all this like uh, dance work to get there. It's almost like, hey, like we'll start doing these things. And then over time, it kind of like narrows into this thing. And it, it sounds like that's kind of similar to what you do with yoga. It's like, oh, like it, the core, you seem to have the idea of like, oh, well, this is, this is what we want to be working on. This is like kind of the avenue to get there. And it doesn't, we don't need to be sitting around trying to like say that right when they walk in the door or something. Yeah, for sure. Um you know, if we were going to, if we want to get into like a little bit of like the history of it, um, I won't like bore you with too much of it because mm-hmm. I'll probably like get myself into uh, too deep to swim out of if I go too far. But, um, yeah. you know, the yoga sutras, um, they were like codified or it's kind of like said it's written by Patanjali, who we don't know if he's really like a real person or if he was like several people. But, you know, the yoga sutras, they lay out like the, the eightfold path. Um, so you have like your your yama, your niyama, which are kind of like your ethical codes. You have the asana, uh, which translates to seat, pranayama, controlling the breath, dharana, dhyana, concentration, meditation, and it leads to samadhi, which is like nirvana, that's um, absorption in the higher power. It's basically like being one with God. Mm-hmm. Now, like, um, it's funny because people think about like yoga as like this non-goal-oriented practice, but no, yoga is an extremely goal-oriented uh, practice. You're looking to like be one with God. It's like shit. That's that's a heavy practice. <laughs> yeah. But um, you know, there's been, I think, but you know, we can say that that's what like Patanjali says, but that doesn't change the fact that like within a few months of practicing like physical yoga practice, when I was in taking yoga classes when I was in college 
I felt like a dramatic shift in my being. And it was like, I could suddenly, I could appreciate the sky. I could like appreciate the, like the sunlight coming in through the window, the wind blowing on my face. And it's like, this is something that I had never experienced in like the first 20 years of my life. So there's obviously something about the practice that's special, but is it because we're like on this path of yoga or is it just like attached to mindfulness and presence? And Mm -hmm. these are things that are found in like lots of people talk about them outside of yoga. Right, because anyway, people like, because because people say some of the similar things um once they start doing jujitsu for instance yeah yeah it's like mm-hmm. i mean i remember that for sure it was like no matter how shitty like work felt it was like i knew that i was going to be like in this experience that like i knew that i had dealt with like this 200 pound dude trying to like break my leg off and like i i like i escaped with a poker face and like went on to triangle and it's like you don't know like like when I was, I was working in sales and it was like, if I made a sales call and I got rejected, it was like, doesn't matter that I got rejected. You don't even know the shit that I do. Not that, <laughs> right. like, not that yeah. that matters, but like, yeah, I mean, jujitsu like creates that feeling like that almost like inexplicable feeling like you are a fundamentally different person because you have practiced this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the yoga of Patanjali is like very much like a path of meditation um, mm-hmm. and like a very much an internal path. Mm-hmm. and the asanas don't really refer to any kind of like, they're not so much about like poses to get you ready for meditation. They're the actual meditation pose that you sit in. So right, gotcha. That, and and it, asana literally means seat. And right. um, they say, all it says about asana in um, the yoga sutras is stirasuka asanam, which is the, the posture should be steady and comfortable. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, you should be able to f- be still and you should be comfortable. And like, there's actually, there's way different meanings. Cause like stira and sukam both, both mean like deeper things, but like, that's not really worth going into and, it, but like, I'm oh, sorry. Um, I was going to say, and then I, I read both light on pranayama and the yoga of breath and I'm, and I might be wrong and I might just be remembering it the way I've chosen to remember it but then I think they both almost say that like like the like the asanas is as like western yoga knows it like all the all the different positions mm-hmm. was was then meant to prepare the body for breathing is that right um I don't know uh mm-hmm. You know, I honestly am not sure. Uh, I know, I know that they say that Iyengar, um, Iyengar has said a lot of things over the years. So it's like hard to, I mean, in one, you know, I mean, I can't take any credit away from Iyengar. He's obviously like done so much, but there's also like lots of things. Like when I, uh, I sometimes like to pull up the book light on yoga and I'll show picture, a picture of, um, him doing a handstand and like his description of how to do a handstand. Right. And it's like, it seems very clear to me that Iyengar took lots of creative liberties with all, at least with the poses, he took plenty of creative liberties. So like, I have no clue if he took those same uh, liberties when he was like writing this book. Um, like, I mean, Iyengar was taught by Krishnamacharya, um, mm-hmm. who was kind of looked at as like the godfather or like the granddad of yoga in the West, um, not even in the West, um, of modern like, of modern yoga because he trained Patabi Joyce who created Ashtanga yoga. 
he trained BKSA Ingar, who kind of like created this idea of alignment based mm -hmm. yoga. Um, he also trained like Indra Devi, who uh, was one of the first, uh, she was a Russian woman who brought yoga to the United States and taught it in Hollywood to movie stars as like a, as a health system. And then he also had his son who uh, like stayed with him later in his life. But yeah, Iyengar, so yeah, pranayama. I don't know that uh, asana necessarily was meant to ready the body from pranayama. So mm -hmm. a lot of what uh, I would say the, the tradition that modern yoga kind of follows into is you could say is out of Hatha yoga. Mm -hmm. So Hatha yoga was kind of a medieval school of yoga. Maybe I'm going to butcher the dates, but like, let's say 1500s, 1600s, mm -hmm. maybe earlier. Um, but what was unique about Hatha yoga is Hatha yoga, uh, rather than looking at the body as an obstacle to be overcome and to be transcended, Hatha mm -hmm. yoga uses specific physical techniques to reach that state of oneness, mm -hmm. that state of higher consciousness. So Hatha yoga is where you see like the introduction of specific asanas, uh, of specific pranayamas, kriyas, which are uh, cleansing rituals, uh, mudras, which are, um, well, I mean, a lot of times people will call things like uh, this a mudra, but mm. uh, like if anyone's listening, just audio, I'm like kind of doing like the okay sign. Right. Um, but even like things that are not uh, like, they would call other things mudras, like um, squeezing your pelvic floor um, yeah. would be, that's Ashwini mudra. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, there's, so there's all sorts of different physical practices that are pretty extreme. And some of them are, are still commonly practiced. Um, mm -hmm. Like the neti pot uh, is, is a kriya that's kind of laid out in the Hatha Yoga Pradipika. Mm -hmm. Neti is like a pretty ancient one. Um, and then there's also, I don't want to like butcher the names, but there's like basically like a nasal flossing. I think it's, I think that's neti sutra. So mm -hmm. sutra is like a thread, like in the, in yoga sutras. So you'll actually like put a, a string through your nose and you'll pull it out the back of your mouth and you're like floss. Um, yeah. There's other stuff that's like, you're sucking water up into I, you. I did one that was like um, massaging the tongue. Oh yeah. Yeah. Which, I've never actually done that, but that sounds nice. Yeah, um, but I, I think I, I'm guessing it probably is is falls into the same category. I would not be surprised, but yeah. So I guess like to sum that part up, the, um, you know, that was like kind of the first example of like specific physical practices being like offered as the practice. Before it was much more of, you know, you take on a posture so that you can experience your, like, I don't even know that there was other types of pranayama mm -hmm. um, beyond like just breathing. I mean, there probably was like, there's also like the, there's a big divide between like the written history of yoga. And mm -hmm. it's probably, it's pretty likely that yoga was largely spread as like an oral tradition. So we don't even know what was like lost over the years and like what got like transformed through the ages. But um yeah. So like yoga that we practice today is like inherently super different. So, and I think most people don't go into it with this idea that they're trying to reach Samadhi. Um, right. They're not trying to attain a light enlightenment. And honestly, when students do come in, like looking for enlightenment, I'd rather send them to a therapist. Like um, <laughs> it's like, 
I can teach you how to move your body. And like, you know, if you spend enough time with me, I might be able to help you like do a lot of other things too. But like, I think that's like asking way too much for like a physical practice that you're teaching to lead to a state of higher consciousness. It's like, how the hell is that supposed to work? Unless you believe in like the mystical powers of these different like pranayamas and like, oh, if I do this pose, if I do peacock pose for eight minutes, it will cure all the impurities of my kidneys. And it's like, Mm-hmm. I really much try to do away with as much bullshit as possible. And um, mm-hmm. I really like to strip things down to like, what is great about, uh, I mean, that's actually m- much more like what I like to look at is like, what do I really like about this thing? And mm-hmm. I'll kind of explore that rather than focusing on, I, ju- I just won't teach the things that I don't like. And mm-hmm. like, I might just like completely remove it from the context of that practice. And like, if someone asks me like, Oh, where did you learn that thing? It's like, oh, well, that's a thing in uh, shadow yoga that I, that I, uh, I practice a lot. Right. It's like the 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 good artists borrow, great artists steal. Yeah, exactly. I uh, I steal and I I advertise that I steal and I tell people that I'm gonna probably steal this when I uh, yeah when I uh, when I see something like yeah and I'll steal from anywhere. Like I'll see a I'll see a kid doing something and I'm like that should be a pose or I'll see a student like taking some sort of they're doing a variation or they misheard what I said. I'm like, wow, that's, I should do that. That wasn't what I meant, but that is the pose now. Yeah. We now practice that pose. So do you, even though, I mean, I know you're kind of at this like point where you're kind of deciding like, well, what is, what am I going to be doing with yoga moving forward in terms of teaching and things like that? But what are the, I guess, what are the things from the yoga practice that you still utilize on some sort of regular basis? Is there some sort of meditation or do you do some breath work or do you do some, some poses and positions that are, are, are still part of what you're doing regularly? Yeah. I mean, it's a great question. Um, I do, I have a really uh, extensive morning practice that I do that is based out of shadow yoga, mm-hmm. um, which is a style of yoga that, um, created by this guy, Shandor Remite, that um, he was one of like Iyengar's uh, lead students in like 40 years ago. Um, he's still alive. He's in like Australia now, but he created this practice of shadow yoga that um, has actually like a lot of people that you know have actually learned shadow yoga, but they, we all kind of remove shadow yoga. We take the things that we like from shadow yoga and then like we just kind of mix it into what we do and you just don't even know that it came from shadow yoga. But mm-hmm. then you can, if you've done shadow yoga, you're like, oh yeah, yeah. He's done shadow yoga. Like mm-hmm. uh, Tom Wexler, he's done, yeah. uh, Ido Portal has done, has uh, like, if you look at like Ido's old, old blogs, he talks about like doing the shadow yoga warm up. Um, so like, yeah, shadow yoga is interesting in that it's very movement oriented. It um, And it's actually an attempt to recreate the Hatha yoga of like, it is like, it's a, it's an attempt to kind of recreate the medieval Hatha yoga practice. Mm -hmm. So they, it involves joint rotations, uh, moving, like moving all the joints of the body. Um, It involves these sequences um, that are called like preludes that are like these flowing dance martial arts uh, sort of martial arts, dance, yoga, fusion sort of sequences. Um, mm-hmm. And then that leads into asana. And you only do really a few asana. There's only like seven that you would do. Um, 
which are it's cool because the asanas that they do are middle split, uh, front back split. They do a peacock pose. They do um, a rotating bridge mm -hmm. where you like kind of you come from like a, a deep squat into like a rotating bridge. Mm -hmm. And uh, what else is like one of the so they they really only do like a, the main part is like they only do a few static asanas like mm -hmm. at the end of the practice and then there's like a shavasana, there's um, the warm down, which is like another set of joint rotations you do at the end. Mm -hmm. But uh, that practice very much inspired me, or I practiced that like uh, faithfully, like to like, I was recreating the sequence that they taught me. Mm -hmm. uh, I practiced that for quite a bit. And then I started to kind of go my own direction. Well, I guess I stopped practicing it and I started doing just much more like flexibility classes and like acrobatic specific training, doing just like specific warm-ups for hand balancing. And then I guess another one of like the big movement practices that I have uh, really taken a lot from is gyrotonic. Mm -hmm. So I'd say like what I do now is very this, very much like a blend of like shadow yoga, gyrotonic, um, active mobility and like acrobatic flexibility exercises. Um, yeah, so I have a practice that I consider my yoga practice. Mm -hmm. Like, if you ask me to defend why it's a yoga practice, I will very willingly just like let that go. Like, I'm like, yeah, it's not a yoga practice, then don't care. Yeah. Because um, like, I know what the practice does for me. Right. Is, um, I mean, for one, um, it makes my body feel great. Um, yeah. And like, I very much like have like, that's been a lot about why I've blended the things the way that I have is like, I basically wanted a practice that only made me better, didn't like cause injuries, didn't like take any energy that I didn't really want to give to a yoga practice that I could put into like a hand balance practice later. Like mm -hmm. the idea of doing like chaturanga, mm -hmm. like 50, 20 times through a class, like chaturanga up dog, down dog. That seemed like, like I used to do a style of yoga called rocket yoga, which is like based out of Ashtanga, but like incorporated a lot of arm balances and inversions and handstands. And it was really fun because it was kind of like a party to practice it. But yeah. you would get so exhausted from doing like the vinyasa between different things. And it's like, go to do a handstand or go to do a backbend. It's like, wait, you want me to do a backbend? You just had me do 20 pushups or. Yeah. It's interesting that you say that because I was talking to um, this woman, Elka Schroeder, who lives up in Toronto. I don't know if you know, if you're familiar with her. Um, Not but she can, but maybe. She comes from a yoga background, but also a dance background. And she um, has been working with Fighting Monkey for a really long time mm -hmm. now. And she said something so fantastic. I just put up her podcast the other day or yesterday. And it's she said this thing that's kind of what you're talking about, where she was like, I want to practice that gives me energy, that mm -hmm. like prepares me to go do things yeah, as opposed totally. to a practice that like makes me tired that like wears me down, you know, like, and I realized like, maybe it's like an American thing where it's almost like it actually kind of, that idea almost goes against what a lot of people are trying to do or, or what they're looking for when they go to practice something. They're like, they think they're supposed to be like, go and be like destroyed and wiped out and like on the ground. Which which is, yeah, that's a totally like fun and fair. And like, sometimes like that's what play is where it's like, like jujitsu is like, you play to a point where you're like, okay. And it's mm -hmm. like, an, but it's an, it's come to me, it comes from like a playful place, but I, I really resonated with that. I'm like, yeah, like 
I want, I, I want something where I walk out and I'm like, oh, I feel energized to continue with my day. Or it's like th- the purpose of this is so that I can like continue on to the things, the other things that need to happen today. 100%. Like we've, uh, I keep, I keep saying it in classes to try to like make myself actually do it, but I hold off on various reasons for various reasons, but I keep wanting to call the practice, like the warm up because it's yeah. warm up for life. Yeah. And like, that's very much like how I, uh, like right now I, uh, I kind of have, I've been able to kind of create a schedule that I get to like do all of my, like my essentials, what I consider like my daily physical maintenance things. And then I'll kind of take it into like a more like skill based, I'll either do like hand balancing or head balancing, Mm. um, like at the end of it, or maybe it just depends on the day, but yeah, it's like, it's, the practice like should not make you worse at the things that you want to do later. And like, I think a lot of people kind of blindly accept they're like, Oh, I'm doing yoga because it gets me more flexible. And it's like, well, if you were doing nothing before, yes, like doing Ashtanga will make you more flexible. And like, that's not to talk shit on Ashtanga. Cause like, I've seen people go really far with Ashtanga, but like, I think recognizing like, is the practice right for you is really important. And I think, you know, like some people's, I think it really depends on body types. Like, I think a lot of like, and also what you're trying to get out of it is the thing. Like some people are trying to get a workout. Some people are trying and some people, yeah, some people aren't going to do another practice later. Like, Mm -hmm. like if someone's just like, they're just trying to like, they're doing a yoga class at the end of the day, then it's like, yeah, like wipe the floor with them. Like let them sleep well tonight. But like, um, if you're someone that's like, you're a jujitsu person, and like, you're like, oh, I should do yoga so I could be more flexible. And then like, you know, you do this power vinyasa class that you're like, you're doing these binds and it's like, oh, my shoulder kind of popped there. And like, mm-hmm. you're like, it's like, oh, jump back to Chaturanga, got it. And yeah, I mean, there's so much about like how many yoga classes are structured mm-hmm. um, between like, they don't recognize that they are something that's like their own creation like people that don't recognize that they are teaching this like kind of like hybrid movement yoga dance flow thing they don't realize they're doing it but then they try to give it the sacredness of yoga and then there's the people that are like the the alignment gurus but so often like the yoga alignment gurus are (sighs) ill-informed or they okay. like it's it's not really based in like fact, mm-hmm. um, like you know anyone that's like very much like oh well the like you know a classic example is people trying to do this like warrior two like flat against a wall and it's like mm-hmm. and it's like because that's how the te- that's how Guruji taught us was like to measure out your warrior two and it's like what but like why why do you your bones aren't flat your bones have curvatures in them you're like your joints face it can face in different directions depending on like how your pelvis is shaped. Right. So like, yeah, there's like, there's a lot of different things going on there. There's, um, and that's why it's so interesting to like talk about yoga because like what type of yoga do you want to talk about? Yeah. There's like so many different ways you can go with it. I think that's what I always find like so fascinating though. It's like, like anything that's been around for a really long time, when I read about it, the bare bones for almost all the things are the same thing. 
or similar things mm. like the Great bare point. bones of like the religions or like the martial arts, like at the very, very, very bottom, the very core, they're talking a lot about like the same things. And I forget where I read it. Um, and I'm going to like butcher it as I always do. when I try to like repeat something from someone else or something that I read, but it was the idea that it's almost like if the thing that you're kind of like getting into or deciding to take on, or you're, you're interested in at the bare bones doesn't have some of these things that exist in like these other places, then maybe you should be skeptical. You know, I think that's yeah. like when I think of something like a soul cycle, which, you know, whatever, but like, does it have some of those, like the, the, the bare bones of these things that have been written about for thousands of years, whatever it is, you know what I mean? Like it could be the yoga, it could be the Tai Chi, like a lot of like the, the same concepts. Um, that yeah. like those are the questions to be asking. 100%. And I think that, I mean, that like really reminds me back to um, like shadow yoga is one of the things that uh, the founder of shadow yoga um, recognized is he saw the same shapes in many different practices. Mm. Like he would, he saw like the same shapes showing up in martial arts, in, in Indian dance, in ballet, in, in yoga. And like, he recognized the commonality of it. And one of the things that he recognized was like yoga lacked like the preparatory forms to help people do that thing. Mm -hmm. And that's where like his preludes and the warm up came in. It was like, oh, we're asking people to like get into this deep pose, but we haven't even like moved our joints. Right. And it's like, um, and I think that's what I also look at in my own practice, like in like me crafting I mean, I, I think what you were saying was like a little bit more broad than just the physical and like in just like movement practice. But for me in movement practice is like, I look at the things that show up like universally. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the things that I really liked, like to go back to the, uh, the shadow yoga is like the asanas are like, it reminded me of this, like I'm, I did a handstand uh, private with this uh, guy that's um, old school acrobat and hand to hand base and he talked, he was saying, we were talking about flexibility or something. And he was like, yeah, there's only really, uh, you only need to do five stretches. And he was like, you do your middle split, your front back split, your pike stretch and your pancake and your bridge. And it was like, oh. And then I was like, I remember thinking there should probably be a squat in there. Like, I feel like yeah. squat should be a part of that. Yeah. And then like, lo and behold, you like find the shadow yoga asana sequence and it's all those things and it's like yeah. so like that's where like I've kind of like wound up is like okay there's kind of these like fundamental big movement shapes and they show up in every practice even if you don't realize that it's showing up in every practice because like right like you like, know, you like 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 a horse stance for instance oh for sure look through like martial arts and and all these different places and you see it like pop up in, in different ways in different places. And you're like, well, there's something there. Yeah. I mean, and that's ballet. That's your, that's your grand plie. Yeah. Um, and you know, that's, um, but you might not even think about it quite this way, but the horse stance is your middle split. Mm -hmm. Your horse stance is just like a middle split with like your knees bent and your legs are closer together. But like yeah. the less you bend your knees and the more you bring your legs apart, your horse stance kind of transforms into middle split. And that's kind of like, 
that's also how I like to like structure the practice is like you start off, you're standing, you're kind of like moving all the individual parts, then you kind of move towards these, those shapes, but you just move into them in like a like uh, a lunging way, then you get down to the ground and you're doing it in like a kneeling way until like, you kind of like take it in stages until like you're in the big expression of it. Yeah. I realize as you're, as you're talking, my, my most recent experience with yoga was with somebody who I believe um, has some roots in shadow yoga. And um, that was a, a very unique experience. And it was, as you pointed out, the first time ever in a yoga class where I was asked to sit into the bottom of a squat, right? It's I like was, somehow it's yeah. like grazed over. And I was like, well, listen, there's definitely something here if like we're, we're getting to this position that to me should be somewhere within everything in some way. Yeah, no, I think uh, 100%. And I think the good thing is like, I see more and more good teachers and like people teaching this like, this like vague movement practice. That's great is like the thing. Like I have a friend, um, Sam Starr, and she, uh, we come from, she's a, like a pole dance. She's a pole person. She, um, also like a badass handstander and like really good teacher of like flexibility and stuff like that. And she teaches an extremely similar practice to like what I teach, even though we like hardly ever take each other's classes and we've been trained by totally different people. And I see like people just arriving at the same things even though they've like come to it from totally different places. And when I take a class and I'm like, I, this isn't my class, but this could be my class or yeah. like, I, this is like, I see the parallel to like how I do it and how they do it. I'm like, I think that's fantastic. Cause like, I think people, instead of like, cause like 10 years ago, if you wanted to work on your flexibility, like you would probably, you would probably go to a yoga class. Yeah. And it's like, now, if you want to take work on your flexibility, you can go to like a real flexibility class and like, do like science, I hate to call it science-based flexibility training because that's almost like, I want to say like results-based, mm. uh, anatomically informed results-based movement practice. Yeah. Well, it's kind of, it, 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 it kind of reflects like the thing that we were saying where it's like the, the, the nuts and bolts like transcend. It's like a lot of the same ideas were appearing on like different continents at different times in history, but like at the very bottom, it was like, they were talking about the same things. You know, like I, I, I read that book, um, Breath by James Nestor. I don't know if you read it. It, it came out just recently. No, I haven't um, read a book in a while. But. Oh, well, it's, a, it's a great book. Um, and just simply, he just talks about like, kind of this like perfect breath, this like five and a half second inhale, five and a half second exhale and points out in all these different like, places either in like religions or maybe in yoga and different places where like they all had some route to to getting the people to do that breath hmm. either it was like you know like um you know whatever religions like you know the, the the rosary or whatever like all these places kind of had like some route to trying to do some version of this like 10 second 11 second ish breath um, knowing that it was like the quote, like perfect breath or something. Um, but something like that kind of appearing in different places, like a lot of these, like the same observations arriving um, 
but that's what it sounds like with someone like you and Sam Starr. It's like, oh, well, people who are observing and thinking and looking end up coming to a lot of the same conclusions in different ways. Yeah, I mean, I think it's super cool. And I think there's something very like fundamental, very like human about it. I mean, I think of it almost like mythology, like the same myths appear like all over the world, even though like they are clearly like entirely different cultures that could not have interacted with each other. Right. But, like somehow like they arrive at these tales that tell the same like human lessons. Yeah. And, um, you know, some of them stay kind of like, folk tra traditions and some of them become like uh world religions that uh change the course of history for not always the better but right well forgetting that like like the the things that they're communicating are like stories and like somehow like humans are learned early on that like we're attracted to stories we're not attracted to textbooks and yeah. like the way to communicate the things is through stories and then you know for a long time, the stories were enough and people understood that they were stories. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, no, it's literal. And it's like, well, <laughs> this is not how this works. Yeah, it's, uh, but yeah, I think there's definitely something there to like, if it shows up all over the place or it keeps, if it keeps appearing in your life, like beyond like movement practice, like if something just keeps jumping out to me, yeah. I usually take it as like, it's a, uh, it's a sign that I should uh, probably take a look at that. Like there was an have you ever uh, read the book Way of the Peaceful Warrior? No, but you are not the first person to mention it to me. Yeah, so it's a book by this guy, uh, Dan Millman. And it's, um, it's cool because it's like the subtitle of the book is a book that changes lives. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that's like a pretty bold claim for a book to make. Yeah. But, um, but like, I also, I can appreciate boldness. So like, mm -hmm. I was like, I'm down. Um, but it was interesting because I had, I was taking like an acro yoga class like many years ago and someone like mentions this book and like, it was like, okay, that's my first like exposure to the concept that this book is around. Then I was at this other acro yoga immersion, um, like maybe a year later and I'm like in the elevator and like this guy's like, he's like, Oh, are you coming to the, are you going to the acro thing? He's like, yeah, I forget how it goes. But anyways, like I'm Dan. And then like later, like, uh, the, the facilitator is like, well, Dan here was actually a, he used to coach some college gymnastics and he's an author. Um, he's going to, or I think Dan, he had told me he's an author. And then um, the facilitator's like, oh, he used to be a gymnastics coach. Uh, so he's going to give us some handstand tips. And then like after that, at the Warrior Bridge Grand opening, um, Dan Millman, just like for some reason, he knew one of the Tai Chi instructors and he shows up at the grand opening. And it's like, I should probably read his book. Yeah. It seems like I should, it seems like I should read his book. Wow. Yeah. You know, you know, who suggested that book to me is, um, you, you know, Brendan Weaver from yeah, Marcellus. Yeah, sure. He suggested that book to me. Um, mm. So now that, uh, now that you've mentioned it, I will have to like move it up the list. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's an easy read. It's, um, you know, it's not going to take too seriously, but I think it does a really good job of, uh, introducing um some of the fundamental concepts of like kind of eastern spirituality within yeah. like but it tells it through the story of like a westerner yeah um which i think especially when the book came out because i guess it came out in like 80s or maybe 
probably not the seventies, but maybe like the eighties, like a lot of that stuff, just like what there wasn't vehicles to spread that sort of information or people weren't interested in that information in its original form. Mm-hmm. They weren't like, I mean, there were always like the people that would, they, they would go to India and like try to like find their guru or like they would like go to Japan and like live at a Zen temple. But like, you know, that's a big commitment. So to be able mm-hmm. to buy a book, that's like a book that changes lives. And then you like, you learn about like, when you eat your food, like taste every morsel. And it's like, huh. Or it's like, they tell, he tells it through a story. It's basically like, I really like how he does it because it's basically a fictionalized autobiography of a time in his life. So I really like the idea that I can tell my own story in like 20 years, but I can just add the details that I want. Cause there's like, there's like magic and stuff in it. So it's like, it's not like a literal retelling. Right. But I love the idea of being able to tell my story. And it's, and at that moment, Sean jumped 20 feet from the ground. Yeah. Well, that's how I always tell my stories. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, I, I'm, I'm always levitating and things like that. Yeah. Nice. Um, I, I, I don't want to eat up too much of your night, but I'm super curious. And mm-hmm. how you like the, 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 the step into like hand balancing and, your practice with hand balancing and also, you know, how you approach it with students. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I think I'm, I'm, I'm curious there because I, I, you know, I've hand balanced for a long time and I've, you know, come from like a, a certain school of thought about like approaching and teaching students. Um, so yeah, I'm, 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 I'm curious because I'm, I'm a much more focused hand balancer than I've, uh, despite being close to a one-arm handstand. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm curious about kind of your entry in there and then, and then what your experience has been and how you've approached, uh, communicating that knowledge to students. Yeah. I, uh, you cut out a little bit there, but I think I got, I think I got everything that was important. I think in the little, the glitches, I think I read through them. No, I, uh, man, I could talk forever on this shit, but, uh, <laughs> okay. Um, I started, I wanted to be able to handstand because at, uh, at David Ginsburg's bar mitzvah, he, when like the middle school breakdance circle broke out, he, uh, <laughs> k- he, he kicked up into a handstand and like took a few steps uh-huh. and I was like, that's, I want to, he can do that. I should be able to do that. Uh-huh. And like, I asked him that night, how to, how do you do that? And he's like, start with your arms up here and like, put your hands down on the ground and kick your legs up. And like, that was literally like my entrance into handstanding when I was 12 years old. Mm-hmm. And um, like, I grew up skateboarding. So like, there was always like, you know, there was always this kind of like, oh, you'll mess around with like walking on your hands or you'll try to do a handstand on a skateboard or I would do like tricks like that. But basically like I was introduced to it and like I got over the fear of it really young but I never really was able to do anything with it. Um, I could never like balance indefinitely on my hands. Like you couldn't tell me to like walk from here to there and I, could, I couldn't make it reliably. I couldn't balance a static handstand. Um, you know, I went to college and um, I would do like sometimes like handstand pushups at the gym, um, probably like going three inches down. And mm-hmm. I don't, hard to know in retrospect, but I'm imagining they were not clean handstand pushups. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I got to yoga and yoga was like kind of the first place that I actually saw people in person balancing in handstands, but also things like headstands. So 
I was in yoga teacher training. We, I like, I had been introduced to like crow poses and stuff like that and like some headstands. And I always felt like pretty solid with them. Like I felt like I picked them up pretty quickly. I remember in one of my first yoga classes um, when I was in college still, um, we were doing crow pose and the teacher was like, hey, can you press that? Can you go up into a handstand from there? And I'm like, I don't know. And like, <laughs> I basically like was able to push from a crow up into a handstand. And then I, I don't know if I, I didn't stay in a handstand, but so I either fell over or I like went the wrong way. But like, I think it's safe to say that like having like try to walk around on my hands and try to handstand on skateboards um, did do me some good in that area, even though I hadn't like figured out how to balance. Mm-hmm. Um, I had figured out like how not to be afraid. And I had like a good baseline level of strength and a good like kind of mental map of like how to get upside down. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got to yoga and was, I did yoga teacher training in the middle of yoga teacher training. Um, we had like, we had the big inversion class, uh, where we got to like try out all the different like arm balances and inversions. And one of the poses was handstand. And um, I remember I could kick up to a handstand, but then I would like walk and I asked the teacher, I'm like, what do you do if you can't, what if you do if you're walking? And like, how do you stop walking? He's like, come down, try again. (laughs) Okay. And, um, you know, I was lucky in that uh, we had the studio. um, So like I did teacher training at Yoga to the People, but right around the time that I was starting teacher training. They opened a studio called Yoga to the People 2, mm-hmm. which was, they basically took over Dharma Mitra's old uh, space on 23rd and 3rd. And this studio was, um, they had their more advanced classes where they had like flexibility classes. They had um, a class that was called like Doorways to a Deeper Practice. They had Rocket Yoga. So mm-hmm. at this studio, I kind of got introduced to like arm balances and inversions and handstands in a, it was the first time I started to receive instruction or even, even the instruction I'm going to just say, it was like pretty, I don't want to say shit because I I don't even remember honestly, but like, it's very much like when you're introduced to to handstands and arm balances in a yoga format, you kind of get one of two camps. You get either people give you way too much detail than is necessary, or they give you no detail. And they're mm-hmm. like, try the pose. If you don't get it, it's fine. Watch the others, see how it's done. Mm-hmm. And so I got introduced to it from that. And um, I kind of like, I got a handstand pretty quickly. Like I, I just try to kick up uh, the same leg every time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I figured out how to balance a handstand in a few months. And um, I built up my hold times. Um, what was really fortunate was uh, acro actually, like acro yoga, um, because mm-hmm. acro yoga um, had like actual, like real handstand training kind of like embedded within the practice because it was create one of the founders of, it's a company called acro yoga, but also the practice of acro yoga, Jason Niemer. Mm-hmm. He, uh, he was a sports acrobat and had put quite a lot of time into handstand training and theory. So. I started to get introduced to things like tuck jumps, straddle jumps. Uh, A guy uh, named Nathan Price introduced me to the idea of like a straight body handstand for the same time. So basically like the acrobats um, and like the acro yoga people, even they they started to introduce me to more of like precision, more like straight body alignment, more 
more sound alignment if we're going to be in a lot of ways. And I, you know, it, it developed pretty quickly for me in that way. Like I didn't really have to practice that hard. Like I would show up to yoga classes and I would try to take videos for Instagram, like afterwards, but like without really training all that seriously, I was able to learn how to do straddle presses, learn how to do pike presses. Um, I could jump up into handstands on top of things. Like it came fairly, I could like start from seated and press up into a handstand. So it was like, it was pretty easy. I, I, th- I think it is a, a lot of that is that you've got like that skateboarder mindset mm-hmm. that like, that like willingness to fail over and over. Yeah. And sure. like a lot of like the, I don't know, like the proprioceptive skills that come with, with skateboarding, like on top of like the willingness to like try and fail over and over. It's a really admirable mindset. I feel like I see it in like certain types of people like wrestlers or like dancers mm-hmm. or something, but I think oh, skateboarders yeah. really like embody that thing in like a really amazing way. Yeah, I think that's totally true. I think, um, you know, sometimes uh, you can't, sometimes it's too hard to rein the skateboarder in. Like yeah. there's a uh, one guy that I'm working with right now who uh, it's like, I have to be extremely structured and alignment oriented with him because if I let him just kind of do what he wants, he just kind of like throws himself up against the wall and he like, he hits a wall like faster than I ever thought possible. <laughs> it's like, but if I give him like really specific like constraints, he's able yeah. to like do it. But yeah, I think skateboarding definitely predisposed me to like that sort of mindset of like, oh, if you want the trick, you try the trick over and over. And like, yeah. to me, it was like, it was just another, it was this new expression of like my, of skateboarding like skateboarding was almost always like it was almost always like an acrobatic practice to me um mm-hmm. it was just like my apparatus was the skateboard and then mm-hmm. like um yoga almost felt like oh it's almost like you know they're poses but they're tricks also and like there's transitions and there's fun stuff there but um yeah so yoga so i got like pretty far with that and like acro was good it taught me how to do a lot of the the thing that i ran into is i was I almost wound up as like a big fish in a small pond. Like I kind of wound up being like, I was the best handstander in my yoga studio. And then I was also one of the best handstanders in the acro yoga community. So it was like, I didn't really have all that much like uh, reason to push my handstands that far. Um, right. Cause, it's, cause then, you weren't surrounded by, you weren't surrounded by a bunch of people who were better than you at that point. Yeah. I mean, there was, yeah, yeah, there just weren't really that many people that were better than me. And it wasn't that I was at like a very high level, but it was like, I could pike press on call. Mm -hmm. I could hold a handstand that was like pretty straight on call. Like I could lower down to any arm balance that I wanted to. So it was kind of like, Mm -hmm. I could do, I just didn't put that much time into it because it was like, I was more excited about like the partner acro stuff. But um, what really like inspired me to get better is I started to see some of my friends from within the acro community that had maybe come into it a little bit later than me, but they were taking it very seriously. And they started training one arm handstands. And like, I had like kind of, I had tried a little bit of like one arm stuff and it just like, I was basically like, you know, I would just like try to shift the weight over, try to lift my hand. And like, I never really got far with it, but like no one else was getting far with it. So I didn't feel bad. Mm-hmm. And like, I had like literally, I don't know if I had ever seen anyone like do a one arm in person, like, or if like, if I did see someone do a one arm in person, it was like, so it was so novel that I could, it was almost like, 
wait, what, what did they really do that? Was that lucky? Was that only a few seconds? Um, like right. I didn't, I didn't really know about people that had like hand balance practices, but you know, I decided that I wanted to take this seriously because I couldn't let my friend Dave get it before me. <laughs> and, um, so, um, and I'm like, I'm pretty competitive. So, and I think that's a good thing. I, as long as you can like, as long as it's not like a competition that like gets you like angry and like you like right. get, but if it's like a competition that like inspires you and you like help other people get better also, like, I think that's a good thing. So I got into the, I set the goal that I was going to get the one arm by my 29th birthday, mm-hmm. which was like maybe like six months down the road. And I, um, I worked with a coach. Um, I like, uh, a bunch of my friends I knew had like worked with this guy, Olaf, who was from Montreal and he would come to New York um, fairly regularly. He would come like every six weeks. So I started, like I met him for a private and I had tried to take a few uh, private lessons actually for one arms. Cause like I saw the one arm skill and I think there's something like very like, I think it was came back to like my skateboarding days of seeing people do like hand plants and like street plants. And it was like, they're doing a one arm handstand with a skateboard on their feet. So it's like, when I saw that this was a skill that like is related to things that I'm doing now is like, I need to do that. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, the first lesson I did, I'm not going to name names, but I did a lesson with a very high level hand balancer. Um, and he basically just put me through the ringer. He like he had me doing block walks. He had me like, he was changing my line and he spotted me in some one arms all within the course of an hour. And this was right. like, and this was coming from just like a very, like, I mean, I had the handstand background that I had, but like you try to change someone's shape and then introduce five new drills to them. Like they're going to be like exhausted by the end of the lesson. So I just remember like, okay, that was good. I have nothing to practice from that lesson. Do you feel like it was one of those experiences, you know, and I feel like there's tons of examples of this, but like where someone is super talented, they've done a lot of work on their own, but like, and they can do all the amazing things, but they actually kind of struggle to communicate the information. Yeah, it's quite possibly that. I mean, he, uh, he is Russian, um, Mm -hmm. but I have also had plenty of like teachers that um, are, that don't speak amazing English, but convey their messages very well. Like, I mean, I always, I was talking to someone about this the other day. um, And like, I always, sometimes I'll like, I'm very entertained by like accents when people are teaching, but it's almost like, in reverence of my time at Marcello's mm-hmm. where like listening to like Bernardo and Marcello like talk and it's like, they're the expert, but they also talk like, like not broken English, but like they have like, like, okay guys. Yeah. Um, like they have their, their things that they say. And it's um, so like, but anyway, like he, um, yeah, he, uh, I mean, it's also hard. Cause it's like, if you do one lesson with someone, like, if someone, if a student comes to you and they're like, I want to learn one arm handstands and like they were where I was at. And then you have one hour with them and then you're going to leave town because your Cirque du Soleil show is right. moving on. It's like, what are you going to do with that guy? Like, okay, right. let's put him through the ropes. And right. I mean, that's, I mean that's, that's what I mean. It's like, sometimes it's like, there's these people, I think sometimes people are willing to pay a lot of money to somebody who can do amazing things themselves, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're a good teacher. Yeah. And to be fair to him, he was pretty cheap also, but uh-huh. he was, it'd be interesting to see him teach in his natural language. But um, mm. it's also like, that's the way that they teach in circus schools a lot of times. And that's the way that they teach mm. kids a lot of times is like, they will spot you through the thing until you can do the thing. Gotcha. And that, I think that works really well when you have a coach who is mm. uh, 
there with you um, yeah. and is going to spot you all the time. But if it's like someone, if you're hoping they're going to show you the practice that you can do on your own, like, I think you have to either be very explicit about that or you have to find a teacher that is going to teach that to you. So like after I met with that guy, um, he, I met an, I worked with that other guy, the old school acrobat guy who was really good in some ways. Like he introduced me to the structure of a handstand practice, but basically like it was very discouraging, honestly. Like he, I asked him like, if I do all these drills that you're giving me and I practice hard and how long do you think it'll be until I have a one arm? And he's like, have a one arm. You don't even have a two arm yet. And it was like, oh man, <laughs> dagger to the heart. But um, I mean, and it's, it's all about like the standards that you hold yourself to. Like, yeah, probably by circus standards, I did not have a performable handstand. But right. Olaf was really special in that like he, he asked me like, how much time do I have to practice? Mm -hmm. um, like, how long am I willing to practice? And then he gave me like things that I could do on my own. Mm -hmm. And um, over the course of the months turning to, I mean, like I didn't, so I, I gave myself like six months to get that five second one arm. And mm -hmm. it probably was about 13 months altogether before I got like my first five second one arm. And, but, you know, I, I practiced it every day, two to three hours a day, um, probably like that's counting like the, the warm up and like uh, the conditioning also, but sometimes longer. But um, yeah, I got real serious about the training. I stayed committed to it. And then my one arms grew. I um, Warrior Bridge was has really been a huge resource for me and my development as a practitioner because I basically got to bring all the teachers to me. So like, I mean, at the studio at Warrior Bridge, I've had Yuri Marmerstein, I've had Sasha Bachman, I've had um Ulrich I've had Chris Gotti I've had Adrian McCavitt I'm I, there's so many more I mean I've basically taken the opportunity to work with everyone that I could to develop right. my hand balancing and you know I'm still like even like the term hand balancing is like am I a hand balancer like what what is a hand balancer but like I I, I love the art of hand balance and the practice of hand balance and um it still is like one of my, it's still my primary practice probably where that I spend the majority of my time on. Mm -hmm. And I guess, so that's kind of like how I came to handstands um, and like kind of my history and a little bit of my training with it. So I've been doing handstands. Um, I've been doing like balanced handstands now since like 2012, 2013. And I've been training it very seriously every day uh, for about a little over three years now. And is that, and is that primarily what you, what you teach? I teach, uh, I do teach a lot of handstands and that's, uh, probably what the majority of my privates are. Uh, mm -hmm. my one-on-one -on -one lessons are a lot of based around, uh, teaching handstands to various people. I also teach a lot of acrobatics, mm -hmm. uh, partner acro, acro yoga. I'm probably, I'm a fairly sought after teacher for that stuff. Um, mm -hmm. As far as like L basing acrobatics, I I'm at a pretty high level with that. Um, but I also teach a lot of mobility. I teach a lot of uh, flexibility. I teach like splits and back bends uh, to people. Um, but yeah, with like my with handstand teaching, it's very much. Uh, I think it's very much about meeting people where they're at, mm -hmm. and like kind of figuring out like it's not about like what I think the perfect drill and perfect progressions of things is, are, because it's, 
it's about like, okay, who is a student that is showing up in front of me? What do they, what are they here to learn? Like right now it's very easy because we have our classes on the schedule that are um, labeled as like handstand balance and conditioning, handstand shapes and movements, press to handstand, one arm handstand. So it's like people show up to that class and it's like, I'm going to teach some, a class that's based around that sort of subject matter. Mm-hmm. Um, when someone like works with me one-on-one, it's very much, there's more of like an assessment process of like, okay, what's what kind of background are you coming at this from? Like, what are your goals? Uh, how much time do you have to practice this? And then it's very much about like kind of figuring out a practice that's um, that's right for them. Cause it might be someone that's very interested in getting the skill as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. So like, we're gonna go on a very like streamlined approach, but someone mm-hmm. might just also be interested in like, um, you know, this is like, this is the type of movement practice that they do. Um, this is like, this is something that they're like kind of like getting into as an adult and they don't have like really a timeline on it. I'm gonna go about it a very different way with that student. And like some people were gonna need to like, address their mobility, we'll need to address their like strength to be able to make it possible. But then there's also the students that like, you just know aren't gonna be receptive to that. So you have to just let them struggle for a little bit until they're like, hey, do you think if I did like flexibility, that'd be good? Yeah, I think that'd be a great idea. Like, right, even though right. like that's like first thing I can see is like- Right, oh, let, let them figure it out on their own and then come and ask you. Yeah, yeah. or, you, or you, you give them the offering once, but you can tell when like someone doesn't want um one of my uh, favorite teachers he uh he tells the story of a teacher telling him um i give people what i i give people what they want so they want what i have to give mm. and i think that's really uh something that i carry with me is like because i have friends that'll work with the exact same student that i work with and they're like oh she's so unfocused like she just does what she wants but like that's what like they'll that that coach will say about the student and then like somehow I found a way to get that student to a one-arm handstand even though they were such a bad student or they like they futzed around so much right it's like you know maybe it's not exactly the same but I it makes me think of a couple people I've talked to on here who have like taught like workshops and they kind of lure people into the workshop with like the one or two kind of things that they're like known for and then the people come to the workshop and then they're like, but then I really teach them what I want to teach them. It's <laughs> yeah. like, I earn their trust and like give them a little bit of like this candy thing, but then I really do the stuff that I think is interesting, important, valuable, you know, whatever. Um, and I think that's kind of what you're saying a little bit where it's like, oh, well, you know, I, I give them what I want. So then I can, then I can do the other thing. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the thing is like, it's really if someone like wants to be able to do a one-arm handstand, like I can, like I couldn't do a one-arm handstand like I can if I didn't do the, mo- the fl- like the flexibility work all for the past 10 years that I've done. And like, if I didn't also do like, if I didn't do the different strength training and I didn't put in these, all this amount of time, like if you're not like, you have to be willing to, you can't like separate like mobility and strength from the physical skill in Mm -hmm. something like hand balancing. It's like, of course, the more flexible person is going to have an easier time. It literally takes less 
I mean, for one, like if we're talking like something like a one arm, like your the deeper your straddle is literally makes your one arm lighter. Mm-hmm. Like making balance corrections when your legs are three and a half feet off the ground rather than six feet off the ground mm-hmm. is like weighs like multitudes less. Like recently um, I've been working, I've been putting in a lot of time in like legs together one arm. Um, Cause like one of my goals is to have like this, the Svechka, the, uh, the candle with the arm up on the leg uh, nice. with the legs together. Cause I just look at that as like, that's kind of like the, that's the expression of like, you have mastered the, the hand balance or, um, or, you know what I mean? So I, yeah. I mean, I can, I can do that shape on like canes cause canes is a, um, a significantly easier one arm. Mm-hmm. It's a little known secret, but, um, on the floor, it's so hard because your hand has to make all these corrections. Mm-hmm. And basically like, because it's so tall, you feel like the immense amount of pressure mm-hmm. that like falling creates. So mm-hmm. the same thing is happening when someone has like, um, like a non-flexible straddle. It's like, it weighs that much more. So like every amount that they can improve, every inch they can bring their middle split down, their one arm becomes like 5% easier. And mm-hmm. like, you don't notice this a lot of times when you're developing it because a lot of times your flexibility and your uh, technique are getting better at the same time, or maybe they're like kind of undulating, like one's getting worse, one's getting better because of like various factors of like how much time you're putting into it, what are your auxiliary practices. But I have always noticed like in my own practice, um, like let's say I'm kind of going kind of lax on the flexibility work for a while. And then like, I have a week that it's like, I worked on my middle split every day and suddenly like end of that week, it's like, oh, that was the longest one arm I've ever done. It's like, I wonder why. But um, yeah, I think like students, they don't recognize that. And I I try not to actually tell them a lot of times that like all of this work goes into it because if someone's like, I wanna do that thing and they see you do like a press to handstand and you're like, that's great. So you're gonna wanna practice your handstand balance, um, you know, five to six days a week. It's probably going to, you know, you can have some mini sessions, half an hour, but it's going to probably be like six days a week, or it's gonna be like at least three days where you're doing an hour at a time. But then you're also going to probably want to work on your, you're going to want to do like a basic mobility routine every day. And then like three specialized leg flexibility sessions. And you're going to probably want to do some auxiliary rotator cuff strengthening. Suddenly like this person wanted to learn how to do a press to handstand and you gave them a 20 hour workload a week. And it's like, okay, I guess I'll go try golf or I guess like CrossFit it is for me. So it's like, you kind of want people to like, that's what, and that's why I think it's really important to meet people where they're at. And like, I would much rather honestly give, like show someone like the basic wall drills and then like get them in a hands in a headstand and like get them feeling like accomplished in a headstand and get them excited to come back to the next practice. And then like, you know, you do the same two handstand drills and maybe you add a new one and they do their headstand. Like now we're going to do a crow pose. And right. now it's like, oh, I'm balancing on my hands. And then like you work in a forearm stand eventually. And, you know, it's, it's going to be different for everyone. Like if someone comes from like a gymnastics background and they're showing up, it's like, you probably don't want, you don't need to uh, put them on all these little tangents, but like right. someone's coming at it as an adult and you know, it's going to be a long road. You might as well make that long road interesting. Right. You don't need, they don't need to walk in the door and like get like the full daunting map on day one. I understand. (laughs) 
Yeah, like I when I, I teach a one arm handstand class uh, virtually right now, which is mm. one of like the nice things about this time is uh, like usually I wouldn't be able to get enough people that are at that skill level that that's like an appropriate class to have mm-hmm. um, on a regular basis. But like because of Zoom and I can have people from all over the country that have like solid handstand practices. And a lot of times at the beginning of that class, like I'll start with uh I don't say it a lot, but I'll kind of say like, like a lot of people will ask like, how long will a one-arm handstand take? Mm-hmm. And a common answer people give is if you train five to six days a week, two to three hours a day, you can get it in anywhere from 12 to 24 months. And it's like, for a practice like one arm, um, it's almost like very refreshing to hear that there is a path Cause it's like kind of taking into account that they already have, if they're taking a one-arm class, it's most likely they already have a very solid two-arm. And if they don't, then they're gonna kind of start to understand that they don't soon enough. Mm-hmm. But like for that sort of thing, like knowing that there is an end, that there mm-hmm. is a path to do it, that there is kind of like a standard mm-hmm. is, is really, really helpful. And that's kind of what I was looking for when I talked to that hands that uh, acrobat guy is like, that's why I asked him, like, if I do these things, how long will it take? Mm -hmm. And like, because like, if I know that there is an end or like, if I keep practicing it, like I will get it in some time frame that like is imaginable right now. Cause if you tell me it's going to be 10 years, it's like, I have no clue what will be happening in 10 years. I have no clue if I will want this skill in 10 years, but like 18 months, that's a big commitment, but I think I'm into it. Right, it's and, a time it's a time frame that you can comprehend. Yeah, and like lately um I've recently taken up like the head balancing uh practice like trying to do the no-handed headstands. Super interesting talking to um Yuval about that. Yeah, I never re- thought much about it, but hearing him speak about it, I was and I also just appreciated that it was just like him at saying like hey, like this is not a generalist practice. Like this is like a more specialized mm-hmm. thing, but I I'm, I find it interesting and there's something there that I take away from it. Um, and just kind of like the, the nuts and bolts of what he, what he was finding there, I thought was really, really interesting. Yeah, it was really, and I did not know he was going to talk about head balance in that. And it was really interesting because I have, this is a pretty recent practice for me. Um, I had like, I, I mean, I've known about the skill and I have a friend that had tried to get me to like mess with it, but like, I didn't really understand how it worked and that was like that was kind of the issue is like i didn't know how it worked and i didn't know how long it would take Mm -hmm. um so it was kind of like i never really chose to put much energy into it but then for whatever reason like not that long ago i had um i started to get the itch for it i was like i want to be able to do that and um luckily like i try to take a lesson with a guy um who was another circus guy that's like performs like amazing things. He like stands on his head and he'll juggle with his hands and his feet at the same time while he's spinning around on a cane. So it's like, clearly he is amazing at this and knows what he's talking about. But I did a, I did like a, an online private with him and I came out of it with like, I don't really know what I should do. So I just kind of like went back to like, I was doing what he was saying, what he told me. And I kind of got some stuff from it, but it was like largely at a loss. And then I happened to, uh, a guy had recently um, posted like, I'm starting a 14 day head balance course. 
and I knew who this guy was and he's amazing. And it was like, shit, I should do that. And I had just started that. Um, when I listened to the podcast with Yuval and it was like, ah, this is, uh, this is a uh, really nice to get this information. And it was, um, I've had like a little bit of a, a wrist tweak, um, not from handstanding, um, the last week or so. And it was, um, so it's been nice to have that practice to kind of explore um, in the meantime. It was also interesting on uh, the podcast with Yuval, he said like something about like, oh, no one wants to have a handstand coach with the tweaked wrist. And I was like, aw. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I think I'm at the point now that I can be pretty unattached. Like, even though like it was like, so I had like a week and a half and I'm still not really back to doing one arms in the way that I was like two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. But like, I think if it was like, if I had just like recently gotten my first successes with the skill, I might be like very sad and very like, I would feel like I've lost a friend, but right. like right now it's kind of like, I'm, I feel like I'm at a point that I can kind of have the perspective that this is temporary. This is right. it'll, something. It, it'll, it'll be there when, uh, on the other side. Yeah. And I can like, in the meantime, I have this headstand thing to explore. I can actually like focus on like my business, which uh, somehow keeps running, even though like I spend hours on my hands. So, so if people want to practice with you, um, you said that you you're doing online classes. Is that yeah. and that and that people from around the world are doing it? Um, how can people work with you? Also, how can people? Uh, contact you to, to, to work with you if they're in New York, because I think you said mm-hmm. that you can do like one-on-one stuff in your studio. So like, what, what yeah. are the routes to that and what are, what are, what are, what's available? Yeah. I mean, I think the simplest route is to check out warriorbridge.com. Uh, mm-hmm. That's uh, the website for the studio. And that's where the, uh, we have the full, the schedule is up there. We have a online schedule of like it might be like 40 live virtual classes. We have like two handstand classes a day, two flexibility classes a day. We have probably an additional two yoga slash mobility classes a day, core class. We have a daily acro, a partner acro class. Um, So that's all live streaming. It's super simple. You just like click the mind body link on the website. And then when you sign up for it, you get an email that tells you, that gives you a link to join the Zoom room so it's all super simple like that we have the same website has like on-demand content we have options to like receive a daily email that you get like the whole previous day's uh playbacks um you can buy handstand blocks on the website if you want um we have cool like resin infused handstand blocks and boards if you uh if you're not interested in taking classes but you want to like do if you want some souvenir of Warrior Bridge. Yeah, some um, war- if, some some Warrior Bridge swag. Some swag. I yeah, I sh- should have more swag, but uh, mm-hmm. somehow I just, you know, it winds up on the to do list, and the to do list just keeps getting longer. Yeah. But um, but yeah, the, all, there's so much information up there. Like you can find pretty much all the stuff that we do, um, mm-hmm. all the lessons, all the on demand content that's available. Um, but yeah, we have handstand classes for like all skill levels, starting with like kind of our balance classes, which we kind of take people through the essentials. And then we have like press class and one arm class for people that are already doing it. Um, if you're in this, if people are in the city, um, the studio is open for open training every day and people can come in and use the facility and do their thing. Um, we 
did like all the uh, New York City things to like upgrade the HVAC system and the ventilation. And um, yeah, so we, we did all that stuff and the studio's ready to go. And it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's for people that are into like movement practice of like, they want to like roll around on the floor and they want to like hang from some stall bars or pull up bars and they want to jump on stuff and they want some like crash pads for acro or tumbling. Like we have like a lot of, we have like, basically the studio is filled with my toys and I have a lot of toys around yeah. that, but um, yeah, they can, if they want to get in touch with me personally, uh, they can uh, just shoot me a message on Instagram. I spend too much time on Instagram. So uh, I'll probably get back <laughs> to them pretty quickly. And um, yeah, if they're in the city. They, and they want to do like a private, I I'm, I'm happy to do that. Um, we could figure that out. Or if they want to do like virtual stuff, it's I've, I've been really impressed with how, uh, how effective virtual has been as like a format for live teaching. I was like really skeptical of it at the beginning. And I was like, nah, we're not going to put the schedule online. We'll just open back up in two weeks. Remember that two weeks, yeah. we're going to shut down for two weeks and we're going to open back up April 1st. Yeah. Everybody said that everybody sent that same email. I, yeah. I remember sending, but I mean, I think I knew it then like, like a week after I was like, this is, this is going for a while. Um, well, I think, yeah, I think, I think they're, uh, there are probably plenty of people who were taking class with me at Movement Brooklyn who are, are a bit of like refugees now. So maybe they'll head down and uh, utilize some of your open space. Yeah, no, that'd be great. Um, yeah, if you're ever, if you, whenever you get back to the city, we should definitely like have a movement session, do do some handstands I'm, or some QDRs or. I'm, I'm, I'm totally down and I really look forward to it. And uh, yeah, after talking to you, I feel amped about some sort of potential New York visit, who knows when, but hopefully sooner than later. Yeah, man. I'm super glad we were able to have the conversation. It was super fun talking with you. And uh, yeah, I'm glad that we got to like get introduced like this. Me too. I'm happy that we finally, uh, we connected. Um, and I hope that we'll, uh, we'll keep the conversation going. It doesn't always have to be recorded. We can always just hop yeah. on at points and, uh, and, and commiserate and share and uh, exchange a little bit. Yeah, for sure. We have, uh, we do like pretty regular handstand Zoom sessions. Mm -hmm. um, if you ever want to join in like a hand, an, a Zoom handstand jam, just like uh, with the advanced crew. I could be down. I could definitely be down. I will, uh, I will be looking at the schedule or at least shooting you a message about it. Yeah, that, that one's not on the, uh, the public schedule. That's kind of, uh, that's for the insiders. Not yeah, that, the, not the that invite not, only. Yeah, not that you're all not insiders, but uh, yeah. You got to have some inner circle. Killer. Well, then I will uh, then message me the info for that because yeah, maybe I'll jump in at some point uh, like next week and, uh, and and play with you guys a little bit. Yeah, that'd be dope. Dude, Super thank nice. thank you so much. And honestly, like it was really insightful to get to hear you talk uh, in detail about um, all the all the, the the yoga information that you have. Um, I think I'll be sending you some more messages with like questions as they come up, as I continue to read some of the things I'm reading. Yeah. I mean, I can talk about this stuff all day. So by any, any, any time, like literally, I tell this to my students, like I tell them that this about like handstands, but like you can literally never bore me if your question is good. Oh, if your good. question is good, like we can talk for hours. If it's like, so well, that we're caveat. well, considering we made it this far, that means I must've had some decent questions. So that makes me feel pretty good. Yeah, no, super fun talking. Killer, man. Have a great night. Um, I, yeah, I look forward to staying in touch. Yeah, man, totally. I'll catch you soon. Later.
Peace.